0: Oh, hello, hello We're in different houses We are
1: It's a zoomy one Which makes it sound like it's my dog Zooming around the garden Because that's what we say when he runs around the garden Like just infused with the spirit of joy And madness Yeah Um, So you can imagine us doing that, listeners, if you want But like (laughs) right now (laughs) Because it's a zoomy one We're like running around
0: um, Not very much the opposite uh, it's the opposite we are both in recovery mode yeah uh, we are <laughs> you are in recovery mode i did a strongman competition at the weekend so my body yep. is in recovery mode
1: yeah and uh, i've been in hospital so i'm in recovery mode too but um yes uh you've been chucking rocks around a field i've been doing much sleeping
0: um
1: <laughs> both very tiring activities <laughs> um yeah um uh, but we're chatting,
0: we're chatting today with Isla. We Isla are, McLeod.
1: Isla McLeod. Uh, how did you first come upon... Because I, I feel like you sent me a message about her book, Rituals for Life. You were like, check out this book I've got. And I was like, already got it, mate. Like, how did you happen how upon you? it? Uh, did someone just buy it for you? Did they think, that's a Lewisy looking book?
0: No. Uh, periodically, <laughs> I go through some of those different book websites and I just go quite niche in the uh, in the old categories and sort of go well what's the top 50 things that have come out in education in the last month what's the top 50 things that have come out in
1: you are making yourself sound quite professional there that's you know like a good podcaster like a oh, good shit. responsible and, then- <laughs> <laughs> and you also look in the section for silliness and bum jokes yes. just to even it out a bit
0: hey I managed to get quite a few rude jokes into the, uh, I won't say them here into the Patreon episode that we've just recorded. Rose did that quiz for you. I think I started pretty high with some rude jokes. Uh, and people will have to, so if people want to hear like unprofessional Lewis, they Hmm. can listen to all of the past episodes. Uh, but also, they (laughs) (laughs) they 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 can listen to the Patreon episode. Um, Because we've got our Patreon episodes and we've got our Patreon feed. So if you're a Patreon uh, subscriber, you get, like, a separate URL and it sends you there. And not only do you get all the, like, bonus juicy things, like, you and I are going to... Well, I've been doing it on my own, but we're going to start doing Friday morning, just, like, live streaming for half an hour. Chatting about what we've been up to in the woods, seasonal activities, all that stuff. We do bonus episodes where we talk about, like, things we do in practice. But also on that feed the people on our patreon are going to start getting uh versions of the main episodes with no adverts in them (gasps) none of the the janky little adverts can you imagine listeners so if you are in like an hour of like waffle chat uninterrupted then you can jump on patreon and the lowest tier is two dollars a month which is like one pound 80 so that's worth it to get rid of some of those adverts really we're
1: very very great all the bonus stuff
0: all the stuff all all the
1: stuff all the stuff
0: bonusy things and our patrons we literally just got a patron while talking to isla the emails went bing bong uh because got a new patron so we're you know very excited the uh episode this time around uh is made possible by our patrons julie rachel emma Candice, sarah claire heidi louise michael and anna so thank you so much guys uh it's been uh it's amazing to have your support and hopefully it
1: is it like because we've been doing this quite a long time now haven't we and it's always been free and it always will be free and our kind of aim is to because it can be quite a lonely place to be we often say that if you're doing for a school anywhere in the world often by yourself or like you're working in an environment where maybe not everybody's on the same page as you and um we kind of hope that through the podcast, we can make people feel like people have said, it's like having a, it's like listening to some mates. It's like having a kind of virtual network of, uh, of people who might be going through some similar experiences. And we always want that to be free. Uh, but the Patreon support just really, really helps us in terms of like, yeah, buying new equipment and, uh, kind of. I was explaining to our partners that actually this isn't hours and hours and hours of work that we do with zero money. It is still listeners. That is exactly what it is because we just really like doing it. We but um, still do it. Yeah, exactly. But um, we
0: appreciate the support. And
1: the, yes, we really do. Yeah. It, every 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 little helps, as Tesco would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this was a really lovely, lovely, lovely chat with Isla MacLeod, where we talk about. Um, so she gives lots of advice and tips about how to um conduct ritual and ceremony with different groups and in different scenarios, how to connect with place if you're maybe new to that. Uh or else do we talk about oh, a bit about eco anxiety and how to um sort of
0: navigate deal with that. that,
1: navigate that? Yeah. If it comes up with children near the end, we talk about how that. To a do, bit.
0: How to um sort of I was going to say cope with, and that's not the right words, but how to um, engage with people that feel like ritual and ceremony aren't for them, either mm-hmm. if that's you and you feel like ritual and ceremony aren't for you, you're not supposed to be a ritualistic leader or a ceremonial person or, or that you've got people in your groups or people coming into your sessions that um, might see it as a bit woo woo. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of delved into all of that stuff and yeah. she had some really great answers and really great thoughts and, um, you know you and I had these questions ready but even so we popped up with so many more um during the chat where I kind of prompted little thoughts for both of us um this is a really lovely episode really chilled out and uh hopefully useful for people bringing more ritual and ceremony mm-hmm. into their sessions and their lives
1: yes and quite good for you know it's nearly midsummer so I feel that's like quite a good like time of the year to be having this kind of conversation big you know Important event in the wheel of the year. Maybe people Mm. are thinking about marking that in some way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yes. Whatever hemisphere you're in. Yes. Enjoy, listeners. I'm Wem. And I'm Lewis. This is the Forest School Podcast. Let's go. Lovely to see you both. You too. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us. That's a pleasure. Wem well, you look familiar. Yes, I came to one of your events, the one um on the outskirts of Totnes I've forgotten the oh. name of the woodland. Perfect, the Yes. Yeah, that was great. great. I was just trying to remember when that was. Now, spring equinox. Yes. That's
2: yeah. Right. yeah. I remember now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm glad there. For that. It's a very yeah. weaving that one. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Really, really good.
1: Um, where are you, and what have you been up to today?
2: I'm in Breton in Somerset, and today I've had a few clients this morning, and I'm just catching up on emails after really lovely. I was just did a little Instagram post because I've had a very full week of all sorts of ceremony. It's been lovely, so I haven't been on my computer much.
1: <laughs> nice, yeah, great. Nice. So uh, Lewis has already pressed the recording button, so we're already recording, and we'll just like edit it, you know, um, as as we need to. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for for joining us, Isla. Uh, we're here today with Isla McLeod. Um, so Isla, you are a ceremonially as that's a hard word to say, ceremonialist, um, and uh, you know a lot about ritual, and you've written a lovely book called Rituals for Life, which Lewis and I uh, both got has no, even got it there within. Yeah, Look, full of sticky yeah. things
0: These are my sticky oh. things that make clickety noises
1: <laughs> um, And as I was just saying I've been to one of your events that you ran at Spring Equinox um, But can you tell us a little bit about your your journey and sort of to where you are now and your journey with nature connection and your connectedness to the earth and how did you arrive at the place that you are now? Mm.
2: yes I'll try and make it succinct <laughs> Uh, It's been a bit of a a winding journey and it wasn't that I had that kind of connection with the natural world growing up, but I think it was sort of always there in the background as this place of refuge and sanctuary. And it was over time, I think going through adolescence and my teenage years when I felt very apart from the natural world, but also myself and a sense of community and, and meaning. That I had to sort of go to the the underworld, as it were, and it felt like I went there through my sort of time at university and early years of my twenties, of feeling like I was really questioning the system that I lived in, and and that this was what I was being told the sort of the the layout of my life would be, sort of university, you know, getting a job, having a family, and there was just no meaning for it in for me. It felt like it was really lacking in this sense of the sacred and something of some enchantments and wonder and some of the mystery and from a childhood that was really varied and beautiful living in some quite different countries i had a taster of what it felt like to be in cultures where ritual and ceremony was a part of everyday life and you know honoring of the ancestors or marking the seasonal changes and I think that always was in my psyche as this possibility of how I could bring more of that into my life. So mid-twenties, I sort of left London in the life I knew and moved to Devon. And there I spent some time in meditation retreats and really began inquiring more into my mind, my emotions and the nature of reality so that I had a better understanding that there was so much more that we could be um, devoting ourselves to in this life. And I had to find my way with what that looked like that was resident for me and that made sense on these lands. So I went and spent some time in the forest and had these years in a yurt, really making that commitment to be an apprentice to nature so that I could have teachers that were sort of directly connecting me with the source. Since we don't have those kinds of intact lineages here, I didn't really have the elders to turn to. But I did have the trees and the stones and went to visit various places around our isles and began working very deeply with the trees and the cycles. And in doing that, I found ritual became something that naturally arose from wanting to give thanks, from wanting to mark particular thresholds of my life. And it gave me that sense of connection with a sense of the spiritual world, with a sense of the invisible beings that I share this world with that began to really feed my sense of belonging and kinship and connection, which I hadn't felt. I'd felt very apart from from humans, from myself. And it was a way for me to feel like I was sort of building bridges back to the earth and to a sense of my sort of soul path. So that was where I was in my late 20s and then having a son and wanting to make this meaningful path of work, it felt like the natural progression to be offering this um, to support others in making those bridges back to the natural world and to honour those significant thresholds that we meet in our life with ceremony, with ritual and with different other I call them pathways of belonging. So other things such as pilgrimage and crafting and drumming, things which help bring online those innate ways of knowing that we are woven with all life and that we're all part of this great mystery in some way.
0: Thanks to everybody that's rating and reviewing on Spotify and iTunes. It really helps us to find new listeners and share what we're doing with more and more people.
1: Thank you. Um, that's a really, yeah, detailed yet succinct description of your of your journey, which um, is probably yeah quite an unusual one to most people today. Um, and I'm just wondering if you can describe a little bit more in detail what you um, what you do sort of for a living or do sort of throughout your average week or month. For some, especially for those who might not be
2: very familiar with sort of ceremony and ritual. Mm. So if I have invitations to support people with with ceremony, that could be anything from a wedding ceremony to naming a new babe or a blessing away for a mother it can also be celebrating significant birthdays. Like I've had quite a lot of 50ths recently I've been honouring. I've also been working with groups around their perimenopause, so entering into that time in their lives so i would normally then have this time of kind of crafting ceremony so that's more on my own i'm there sort of bringing in the different elements of ceremony um, to create a form of what the outline could be and then i would hold those events i'm also offering more one-to-one work so i support people in a kind of mentoring capacity which might be to help them design rituals for themselves how to connect more deeply with the natural cycles and rhythms also supporting people, academics, in bringing more of an animist perspective into a scientific lens, which has been really interesting. And also with people that, I call it soul making, but it's working with people in a capacity where they're seeking more meaning in their life and wanting to enrich their experience of that kind of embodied um, animate way of relating with the natural world, the more than human world. So I do offer shamanic healing sessions and journeys and taking people out on the land to hold sort of pilgrimages in a way so that they have this experience, a really embodied experience of being able to hold themselves uh, through a passage of time where they're feeling like there's a threshold in their life and that they're really ready to make some kind of intentional change. So it's a really lovely variety of being out holding ceremony for people, crafting ceremony, Obviously, there's the admin that goes behind that, um, but any week can look very different. And I'm also trying to create more time to write and be able to deliver some of these approaches and online content and various things. So there's a bit of writing as well going on at the moment, which I really enjoy.
1: Yeah, you mentioned earlier that um, you said that when you were sort of beginning this journey that you didn't, we don't have our kind of, um, our own lineages intact in this land. Um, Is that something that you're sort of looking to change in terms of yourself, maybe passing on knowledge or passing on ways to connect? Do
2: you see yourself in that kind of role? Hmm. Well, I would hope that at this time we're bringing more awareness of the value and the necessity of, of the village that we've become so isolated and fragmented that we just don't have that pool of wisdom that's available to us from our elders but also what the children can bring to support and enliven the elders and you know raising children not just within the parents of the family but other elders and adults that can support with that and i feel like a lot of my work is preparing to what i would call becoming a good ancestor so that when i am across the other side of the great river that I will have my great grandchildren at some point, you know, calling on me to be a guide for them in their lives. And I would love it if that had happened before I die, that I'm able to be that old lady by the fire that's there weaving and telling stories and being, I think also, you know, discerning and and truth telling. So it's not all, um, well, there is that image of that sort of really gracious, kind, gentle grandmother, but I think also they can be quite, hard-hitting sometimes that crone image um and i feel already as as i sort of progress towards my menopausal years that there is this ability to be um be careful not to swear hang on so, that, <laughs> so fucking go for it. <laughs> in that sense of really not giving a shit what other people think yeah. that you're really walking your talk and not just playing nice that there's something of you know a woman embodying more of her power as she becomes older and and really wanting to give permission to others to do that so yes I, I hope very much that i'm able to pass on some of what i've learned before i before i go
0: yeah mm. i wondered if i can ask, i've just i was scribbling down on post-it notes as you were talking um you you mentioned quite a lot about talking about like elders and ancestors and like building up that relationship um and sort of allowing people to make that connection i think mm-hmm. I don't know whether this is just my own experience, but I think what I commonly see is any, is like relationship with maybe more ancestors than elders is like a feeling of like guilt or onus or like pressure that there is some sort of like, you've got to live up to your ancestors. You've got to like do this thing. And like, it's, it's um I'm wondering if you have any things about like making that, flipping that narrative so that it can become, Um, you know questions on like I rarely see people go like oh I'm sure your ancestors would be really proud if they could see you now the conversation always seems to be around like are you doing enough for to live up to that lineage are you doing enough to I'm sort of waffling here but I'm wondering if you're catching the sort of that flow of like it not being a negative looking down upon you with tuts it being a like they're really proud of you relationship do you have that kind of stuff going on?
2: Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think who told me once when I was working with ancestral um, healing, I have, a, mm, no, I can't remember. Somebody said to me that the greatest gift we can give our ancestors is just offering up and sharing the gifts that we're here to bring. And that might feel like a big responsibility. And in a way it is like we have got a purpose here to be showing up as you know, good guardians and protectors of the earth. And yes, it might fall sadly on our sort of Western psyche, which is often quite self-depreciating and a bit hard mm. on ourselves, into that way. But actually, it can really motivate us to want to live fully and express ourselves in a way that is really honouring of the unique gifts that we've inherited through our lineages. But I'm also aware, and you speaking to that, that there are a lot of people that find it difficult to relate with their ancestors because they feel the guilt or the. Mm, the shame that they carry from what their ancestors did, which they obviously don't agree with. So there is also that perspective, which makes it quite difficult often for people to want to relate with them or, or, you know, to do so in a way that feels nourishing, that it's actually easier for them not to acknowledge that, or that there's a lot of healing work to be done there. So it can be quite entangled. And I think where I also felt I naturally went was initially through working with the trees as ancestors that actually there can be a lot that makes it difficult to relate with our human kin. But the trees, the stones, all these other beings that have been on this earth for so long and expressing this incredible reflection of our potential might be a way in for people in that respect to also connect more deeply with place and belonging if also their lineages don't come from these lands or they've moved. That can also be quite complex. So I think that's a really helpful thing to remember when we're Also considering the the web of life, that it's not just about our human relations, but very much about the greater beings that have been dwelling here before before we came.
1: Mm. That's lovely. And I I really wanted to ask you actually about... um, Yeah, connection to specific place, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are people who are working as forest school practitioners or working in the outdoors a lot. And some people like ourselves, we're lucky enough to have our own woodland um, where we are pretty much every day for about seven years now and we've been in that same place and one of the most life-changing things for me about kind of making that journey to be a forest school practitioner is the connection with place because through visiting one place every day for that long that's been my kind of route to nature connection and definitely through kind of it does feel very I don't know, there's a, there's a heavy element of kind of history in there as well, in terms of learning what it's like to be living outdoors and more connected to nature, because you're going to the same place every day, noticing tiny changes through the seasons because and things that are the same this spring compared to last spring or things that are different um, and so on. But um, there's probably also people listening to this who are working in many different places or trying to find a place, trying to find a bit of land, which is really difficult for people. Um, and I wondered if you could say some things about the very beginning uh, of starting a relationship with a particular place, like how you might start that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really relate with that feeling of also not quite feeling like it's the right place, or, you know, if we're in an urban environment, or I moved into a town and my son started school and I'd lived in the yurt for seven years. So it was quite a big transition. But I did take this place because there was this chestnut tree in the garden, which just spoke to me as soon as I came to visit as as a place of anchoring. So that was the first connection that I really intentionally made when I moved was, you know, creating a space of refuge or, or like a sit spot somewhere where you're able to connect in with the spirit of the land that you live with. And it can just be as simple as that. You just have somewhere that you sit and, you know, as you say, tending or being with a place every day. Or naturally reveal to you the ways that it shifts throughout the seasons and what other beings live there and, you know, the birds, different insects and other beings that you might see crossing the path. And even if you don't have a sense of, or a garden whereby you have, you know, trees or that you, you know, if you're in a flat, for instance, there are ways of being able to connect in within our bodies, which is something that I've been working a lot more with, with people that live in urban environments, that we have this amazing temple of earth that is our our um, our resting place for this life and that within our bodies we can connect with the elements so we have the earth of our body we have the waters in our blood we have the air that is constantly being moved through us and then the fire that is the warmth of our, our bodies. And if there's a disconnect with the sense of place, then we can start to really find that within ourselves, that we can actually find a, a resource and a, a doorway into the natural world through our own bodies. But if you do have a place and, um, you know, you started that initial contact, then it's, I think, really lovely if you can to spend time with it before you necessarily sort of begin building upon it. So when I moved to the woods, I allowed the full cycle of the year to see all the changes within those seasons before I then started to put little altars in place and had a uh, put a hammock between two trees. That was my way of sort of listening and and not wanting to leave a mark. But then it might reveal itself to you of like where the places are that you sense there is a certain sort of um, constellation of energy or a place that you feel particularly peaceful in, that there's somewhere that you feel drawn to creating something like an altar or you might with the seasonal shifts, have a time of ritual where maybe you make something like an earth mandala. But having that sense of reciprocity with place so that you know that as much as you're receiving from it, that you can give back in some way. And I'm thinking of when I began writing my book, I wanted to have a connection with the River Brew, which is about five minutes walk from my home. So after the school run every day, I would gather water from the river and carry it back to the tree in my garden. And as I was carrying the water, it would be a time of prayer, of really giving thanks for whatever it is in my life on that day that I wish to give thanks for. And then I would offer the water to the roots of this tree, and it was something just in that quiet tending and the relationship between the waters and the roots that really began to weave in a sense of my purpose of being here, which prior to that, I hadn't really understood. I said, why am I in this town? I mean, I know my son's at school. I need to be. but... I often feel we're called to a place and I couldn't really understand why I was here. But something in that just quietened that kind of questioning and concern to just really understanding that I or really feeling like I had landed here. And that was over, you know, a course of a few years. It does take time, as we know, you know, in our human relationships, to build up trust and a sense of knowing the other's needs. And I think having that want to really listen so that we are. In whatever way that comes, you know, even if it's a flicker of an idea or you're there and you hear a voice, you know, however it feels that you receive insight about what it is that this place might benefit from. Mm. There, I think that's a great place to start.
0: You will never need to go back to mundane marshmallows ever again. My book, Forest School Cooking, covers everything from how to build ovens to cooking in new and exciting ways and a whole load of easy and amazing recipes that your groups will love. Order your copy today on Amazon.
1: Yeah, and I think that probably comes up in forest school sessions as well for people that a lot of the groups and the children will actually come up with those ideas yeah. that then become quite ritualistic, probably without anybody necessarily naming it as such. Yeah. I'm trying to think about things that maybe our learners have done, but there's definitely things that, yeah, about reciprocity. So some of our children, we've got bluebells on our site and some of the children really enjoy um sort of picking the seeds and scattering the seeds when they're dry and yeah. things like that, that are just, they just sort of happen, don't they? No, we don't design that we don't go, oh, today we're going to do this. They just they just happen. Um yeah, I think that's
0: I think only quite last often because uh, for small children in particular it's often easier to connect with the like fauna in a in a space even if they're not seeing it. Like it doesn't have to be there with them. The amount of like homes that have been made and given to the woods for animals that these kids have never seen, you know, these are like, for animals that sometimes don't even exist in the woods, you know, they're like, this is for the wolves, this is where the wolves are going to eat, and the thing, so like, but then sometimes it's, this is, uh, I've made a little shelter for hedgehogs, or I've Mm -hmm. dug this out so that the squirrels have got somewhere to drink from, or those sort of things, they're like, they're not paraso-, Uh, what's the word? Um, Ah, uh, you know, and it's like a one-way relationship like you might have with a celebrity. It's a parasocial. Anyway, that word where it's not face-to-face, give-and-take. These things, it's like done out of a... They just seem to know that they're sharing the space with the wildlife and will give back in that way. And sometimes it's... They're giving back to the flora, but I would say it's fauna more often than not. And I think they also quite like the story of being able to go and they'll come here and then they'll do this. And then I've made a pathway for them to go over here and like having a narrative to hang on it mm. is quite useful for them.
2: That's beautiful. And I wonder, do they have, or is there any sense of the, um the, the sort of more than, not the more than human, the invisible, like do they make little homes for fair, fairies or any other beings that dwell in the woods?
1: We have had that, especially if we have told some folk tales. So we have one summer holiday group who, um, just never often when you tell story, you never really know what stories are going to land and kind of be like a springboard for different things. Um, but I think it was last summer I told a story about um, about a, a child being taken by this, the good folk who lived in the hill and the journey that the parents had to go on to get them back, mm-hmm. and um, and that really ignited something in that particular group at that particular time, whether the conditions were just right or whether there was something in the air that felt quite kind of magical. And there was a lot of play, wasn't there, Lewis, that week about, um, about yeah, the good folk and the small folk and, you know, kids who would never have necessarily ever heard
2: of that before. Yeah. I think that's what's so beautiful about was well, story, but also being in natural settings is that we haven't, historically for some time really valued the superpower that is our imagination but children can really show us with that that you know just one little piece of a story they can ignite with all different color and texture and and make something else from it and i think that's something to really cultivate in these kinds of settings is to really allow them to guide us in what they see that might not you know we don't that there's this whole mm. landscape beyond the visible that they i think touch into much more readily than we do
0: i think there's there's something as well isn't there about like using natural spaces for this kind of ceremony and ritual that gives you uh on well, my experience anyway a sense of like things that you can't do in spaces where you feel like you're being watched in the same way there's something about a natural space that quite often you know we're lucky enough to have like a very dense woodland and so you can not not that you're being silly but you can be like earnest in a way that you wouldn't be on a school field when you're being watched by mealtime assistants and the year sixes are trying to play football you know like all of those things like the woodlands and natural spaces give you a sense of like I can go into this little world earnestly not worry about being watched and um and actually one of the things that we made a note that we wanted to ask you about is like that sometimes that's paired with people who don't have that sense of ritual or ceremony or things in their day-to-day life. And then they um, I'm going to use the word ignorance, but I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory term, I just mean like lack of experience. It can then come out as like dismissal or, um, you know, challenging nature mm-hmm. and whether you've had any experiences of trying to hold a ceremony in that way, whilst also dealing with those kind of feelings about like, yeah, "Yeah, this isn't real, this isn't right, this is silly all those things
2: Mm. it's something i've been very aware of in in more traditional ceremonies i hold such as weddings when i speak with the with the couple of sort of what language are they comfortable with me using around you know terminology involved in the sacred which often has those sort of religious connotations that might be difficult for people but also recently i was holding a wedding where the groom really wanted to acknowledge the fae because it was on their land that was full of bluebells but the the bride wasn't so sure because of the family and they might think it was, you know, they might mock it in some way. So we found a sort of, we, we found a, a way of just saying all the other beings that dwell here. So it was sort of a bit more perhaps digestible. But I've noticed that I can often have that reservation going into spaces that feel a little bit more conventional. And often my reservations are very quickly quieted because I think there's such a longing for more magic and wonder and mystery. And it might be that there's an initial kind of, um, resistance and the contraction, particularly if it involves things like inviting people to sing that really don't like their voices being heard. or um, And it depends on how I frame it. But for instance, though, I held an event, or I was part of an event last week that was a panel discussion in an auditorium, nothing like I'd ever done before, but I wanted it to be an experience of the web of life because we were talking about the web of life. So I suggested I, I held a ritual to sort of open it and to close it. And I wasn't sure how that would go down, but I kept it really simple. Um, We just offered everybody a stone and I did a guided journey of just connecting with our sense of belonging through the stone. And I think there's ways of framing it that actually everyone can relate with. And my sense was that those that might have never done anything like that before felt really opened up by it because of the experience of them having this sense of connectedness in a space that maybe normally you go to and it's quite kind of us and them you know listening to the people on the stage and actually it became then just kind of this beautiful symbiotic space where everyone was connected in almost in a circle rather than there being this kind of more linear way of being. So it's something that I'm hoping also more to connect with people that are in for instance corporate spaces those people that perhaps haven't had access to these kinds of ways of ceremony and, and looking at the world because that's really where we need to be going it's it's you know something to kind of preach to the converted as it were but to have this bridge with these maybe more um animistic ways of viewing the world more ceremonial approaches to life and if we can get that to people that are Sort of on the treadmill that are living in these settings that are devoid of some sort of deeper meaning and connection, I think could create a really important shift that I'm I'm really hoping will be will be seeing more over the next few years.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating because at the end of the day, if if what you're aiming to achieve isn't going to cause harm to anybody or distress to anybody, whether or not somebody is sort of wholeheartedly. I don't know in a, in agreeance or in belief of the of the same kind of things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's overall about connection, isn't it? It's about connection with one another and and with a place and with yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's quite hard, to, I, I think personally, to argue um, that it might not have a place in certain areas. Do you know what I mean? It's quite um, yeah. What you're striving for is is connection. And yeah. and we're really wired for that, so yeah. it's yeah, it's got a beneficial outcome. Um, I was listening, going back a little bit to kind of childhood and things. I was listening to I don't know if you've listened to the uh, podcast called Witch, which is on BBC Sounds at the moment. It's very interesting. It's it's really good. Um, and there's a lot of crossover there between. So there is a you know the history of of witch trials and those kind of things, but there's also um, a lot of present day um interviews with people who are yeah very nature connected or involved in ritual and that kind of thing and um and the host interviews one group of people and one woman said it really kind of chimed with me and said she said that a lot of um kind of ritual and ceremony happens in childhood naturally Mm -hmm. and through play and she felt that herself personally she'd just never grown out of that she just carried on playing in the way that you might be playing in the garden as a child and kind of inventing spells or making potions or talking to imaginary beings and all these kind of things and that as an adult she's just never lost that whereas a lot of she watched her sort of peers lose that um and you said earlier that sort of nature connection wasn't something that necessarily you experienced as a child, but do you think there is something in that about like not losing that kind of playfulness and there being a link with childhood there?
2: Mm, absolutely. I, I know that I've had to re um, reinstate my relationship with my inner child to sort of be forefront when I'm particularly out with in the natural world wanting to have that kind of childlike wonder and curiosity and innocence in the way that I see and and relate with the place. But I think for most of us, sadly, that isn't the case. And I know that I was, I began boarding school when I was eight and I was living in Nigeria at the time. And I'd already collected sort of different figurines from various markets and had a little portion of shelf that had these beings on and I had like a little rug on my bed. And it was really through seeking some kind of connection and, and wanting to try and make sense of the chaos of my emotions, really, that I began experimenting with what I can see now as a ritual. You know, I'd sort of bow down on my little rug in front of these beings and I'd bring my, like, sweets from my tuck shop and, like, put them at their feet and I had a little bell that I rang and... I would just use it as a time to usually sort of ask for some help or cry you know it was a time of real tenderness that i just needed somewhere to go that felt like someone was hearing me and that i felt held and i know that it was you know being in a dormitory with other girls it didn't take long before i stopped doing that because i realized nobody else was but i did have a buddha from my ninth birthday and it was so organic to know how to be with that wooden buddha who Every time I came and sat with it, just it was natural to light some kind of incense or leave a flower and just the, a way of saying hello and then being in silence together and thanking them. So simple, but that thread was the one thing that kept with me throughout all the times when I then felt very apart from the rest of a sort of way of ritual practice. And I think that we need to re- or really encourage that in our our children, obviously conventional school, I wouldn't say does in any way really have that kind of space for a lot of creative play for the children to see that it's it's you know normal, it's it's actually really beautiful to allow them to follow their imagination and create those kind of experiences of play and spontaneous ritual and really celebrate it actually because that's where we then create our unique relationship with a sense of of, of the spiritual, however that might be. And I think obviously in the past we had too much religious dogma to allow that to happen, but we don't really now in the mainstream. I think there's a lot more space for people to be bringing that and for there to be really interesting conversations about like, you know, who are these beings that you're speaking to or making little homes for and and making it something of everyday conversation, you know, and it can be between parents and children if it's not happening with their teachers. So that also amongst their friends, that it's something that they want to engage with and, and to spend time, as you know, I imagine you do with them in the forest, sort of really having those sort of held spaces whereby they're invited to seek out places where they feel like they can go and either talk to a tree or make a little den for another animal or somewhere that they feel that they, they're they inspired to make that kind of connection with a place or a being. Mm.
0: Applications for Forest School Leader Training at Children of the Forest are now open. Come and learn with me and Wem at our private woodland down in Devon. Find out more by heading to myforestschooltraining.co.uk. See you there. Mm. Yeah, there's so much in there, isn't there? About that that sense of uh, creativity that you have doing all these things, or that all children I've ever worked with have. And I think that's something that I've always found... Uh, once I take on that role as like a leader in the space that I then find one of the biggest challenges for me is trying to um, you talked earlier about crafting ceremonies and obviously like thinking up like what will work and it sounds like you're sort of doing oh this group will enjoy this or they'll get a lot out of that if I'm understanding that bit right Um, and I'm always torn between this idea that like particularly for our community that we run for our um learners uh inside the forest school Principles autonomy is super high up there not just as something we value but that there's something that our learners and our families really need you know that might be one of the reasons they've chosen to come to us over somewhere else Mm -hmm. and i find holding that sense of autonomy and giving people you know the the reins to a ceremony but also being in that position where i want to go I've crafted this thing and I think it will work if we do steps one, two, three, you know, trying to uh, give that sense of autonomy, but also hold a ceremony ritual. Mm. I find that a really tricky balance. I wonder if that's something. Have you come across that balancing act before?
2: Mm. Well, that was partly in Rituals for Life, the book. I, I had this idea of the four seeds which is something you can sort of have as the guiding uh, format for any ceremony. And if you plant these four seeds, then not only will they sort of thrive in that ritual, but also in your life. Um, The first is the intention. So you have the intention of what the ritual is and what you hope to sort of receive from it and what you hope to give from it. And then you have, once you've set that space in the container, then you've got this spontaneous um, field for however creativity might arise. So in that space, it's the opportunity for anyone present really to sort of express what wants to come through naturally. So it might be something like um, making an earth mandala or it might be painting a mask. It might feel like you want to go and build a den that's one of the beings of the woods. In that time, there is that opportunity and invitation for, for there to be that creative space. But then you would sort of bring to a close the ceremony by firstly expressing thanks, which is a third seed of gratitude. And then to, to finish, it's really about how we then experience our ritual being something that can actually feed the greater web of life. So offering our blessing as the fourth seed to those others that we might be able to ripple out some of the good wishes from the ceremony to towards. <clears throat> so if you have the kind of container, the beginning and the ending, then within that, it's also a bit like a rite of passage, actually. You've got the sort of entering into a space and then you've got the cocoon, which frankly, anything goes, you know, it's this time of transformation and creativity when you're in some relationship with the unseen. So we're just really hoping that we can be responsive and listen to what we we're were we called to do in that time and then creating that sort of closing and re-emerging from the cocoon. So that's one mm-hmm. way that I would encourage like how, how we can hold it when it does feel a bit um like there's all these other ideas too it's sort of let's think about what the intention is as like the arrow and really stick with that as a focus um but if i'm crafting something just for myself it's it's a lot more free flow usually and, and i'll just sort of go with where whatever whim takes me um but i think having that that space for being in relationship to what comes without any plan is actually really valuable. And particularly with children, it's great to have them feeding into the space like what, what they wish to explore at that moment and be able to really trust in that and, and give them autonomy, as you say, to sort of feel that they have the power to, to do that um, mm-hmm. without feeling like it needs to look a certain way.
0: Yeah. yeah I, would- I think, I think that's just ticked something off in my brain that I realized that there was a, um, something i was holding that's never actually been said out loud which is that in my head i i think i've always had the sense that like a ceremony being like quite tight time-wise almost like a church service thing but the way you know this is 10 minutes and then we're into the actual main session you know (laughs) what this is the 15 minutes that we're going to call it to a close you know and so yeah yeah, i think i was holding that in my own head of like how do you do autonomy when you've got that i guess that's kind of what i was asking was that timeline but actually hearing you describe it actually the whole you know we can do a two-hour forest school session and that's the ceremony i thought
1: exactly the same thing yeah the way that you just described it isla at the beginning and and then you know potential for whatever speaks to you in that moment is what you should do and then coming together at the end is what a lot of forest school sessions look like and i've never really thought of that i've seen as lewis as Mm -hmm. the entire thing actually being a ceremony or a ritual and i think a lot of the families that come to us would probably agree with that as well and i think that's why they come back because they see the entire thing as yeah that kind of weekly ritual that they do mm. that's really interesting isn't it mm. yeah, yeah because uh, same as lewis we've often thought of um especially i guess at uh particular points in the year we might feel like oh we really want to kind of mark this in a way that feels different to maybe in, in your uh, you know an average forest session or or a rite of passage with like children moving on from a particular group and things like that. Um, But when you're kind of, yeah, called back to remembering that the entire thing is actually quite ceremonial, there seems to be a little bit less pressure there. And often the children will create an extra ceremony or ritual within Mm. a session when they feel like they need to. Again, we've had some holiday clubs where Mm. it hasn't happened all the time, but there have been, times where the group have gone right oh my goodness it's the last day tomorrow we're gonna have this award ceremony or this <laughs> this session or this show at the end to mark the end of it and that's always come from them rather than us and I think that ties into what you're saying Lewis about kind of autonomy and um and then it, it's organic that it comes from the group rather than one person whether it's the leader or just one member of the group going oh we really should we really should." mark this moment you know because i think so um, mm. isn't necessarily the reason to do it
2: mm. i think we, we've inherited a lot of that kind of hangover of religion where there were very specific ways of doing things in a certain way it's very rigid and restrictive so we do need to unshackle ourselves from that in some way and I, I mean, it was a, a wonderful fellow called Matt McCartney who founded Endacomb that describes life. I'm sure other people do, but that life is the ceremony. And actually, if we kind of view the whole of our existence as this opportunity to be in ceremony, then it can really shift the way that we relate with the everyday. And. And yet I do also acknowledge that there is sometimes a time frame and I'm not somebody traditionally who's very good at checking a watch and knowing that I have to be finished at a certain time because in these liminal spaces, anything goes and it's not, you know, time is not kind of functioning in the same way. So there is a time when you need to be aware of like that, that that we have a set piece that we need to be able to complete within that time. Um, But they can also be really brief, you know, beginnings and endings of a day. You know, simple as something like holding a stone when you start the day with your intention each of you you know just sharing what it is that you know you wish to feel or that's something you want to create today that's sort of your intention and you know putting that in a nice circle of stone somewhere around a tree and that's sort of the beginning of you setting the intention and then from that you've got this container to play around with and at the end of the day you know you've got the stones you can go and gather them up and put them in a bowl of water as you each say thank you for something that you are grateful for from the day so there can be really simple moments as well it doesn't need to be a a sort of the experience of having that full um flow that I described within one piece but just seeing it as a part of the whole experience I think would be really wonderful for you to approach the whole of the day in that way
1: yeah Mm -hmm. that's a really nice little idea there um I was wondering about um whether you had any advice for people who felt like they have either been kind of placed in a role where they could be leading some kind of ritual ceremony, like a forest school leader who might be kind of new to that role or their group are giving them some kind of feelings that they quite like the space to be held for them in that way, or somebody who would like to maybe step into that role, but hadn't done it before. I'm thinking about, you know, some friends and I have set up, what's turned into a woman's circle but without anyone really intending it for it to be that we just started swimming outside and then actually some of us have gone actually we want this to have sort of a feeling of more meaning but we're all I guess feeling a little bit um actually some of us have really gone for it which is great but I'm thinking about people who maybe are feel called to hold space in that way but are feeling a little bit underconfident and maybe that it's a bit silly or that Mm they might feel it's a bit embarrassing, whether you have any kind of words of wisdom for beginning, mm. that kind of work.
2: Mm. Well, I know that even as practiced now as, as I am, I still feel nervous before holding events. Like there's something very natural, I think, about coming into a space and being seen and being the one to sort of facilitate and hold the space, which can be quite an edge, especially as well, you know, being heard, using our voice and what are we gonna say? So I think just having compassion towards that part of ourselves to start with and that knowing that all those present really wish well for you, like everyone is there supporting you. That always really helps me when I'm entering the space that you know that everyone's kind of got your back. So whatever happens, it's going to be OK, like really just giving yourself a bit of reassurance before, you know, holding anything that it it, it, it will happen exactly as it needs to. And yes, we might have moments afterwards where we think, oh, I should have done it that way or da da da, da that will come and we'll maybe find ways to make peace with that. But I've heard things like Judy Dench still gets nervous going on to stage. And I just wonder if it's also a sign of us really caring about something that we get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of then feeling maybe like you don't have ideas or sort of, you know, what do I do to hold that kind of space? Well, one would be, I, I recommend my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> but I think like for something like a woman's space, if you've been to other gatherings, retreats or workshops and you remember something that really worked for you, see if you can just like take a piece of that that inspired you and, and adapt it or make it your own. And certainly in shared spaces, with like a women's space, it's lovely to invite a different woman each time, each month to hold it. So then you get a different flavour of everybody and it will always be different. There's no right or wrong way. We just bring our own unique gifts to the space. And I think it's about really having that sense of your intention of what you would really wish the other people to feel and that be your sort of guide so if you really want people to feel like really nourished that they're feeling really well cared for rested, then you know think about some elements of sort of self-care practice or something that's really like you know massaging each other's shoulders or making like a fun mud pack for your faces or something like that or if you're feeling like you want people to really feel a sense of Connectedness or, or belonging than things like singing are great because in singing spaces like we literally kind of come into harmony with each other, or being able to connect with the trees or finding ways of really making those connections with the natural world more embodied. So having that gut as a guide of what it feels like, what you wish the people present to feel, mm. I think is really helpful. And I <clears throat> I think that we need to as you know we talked about bring online more of that childlike playfulness and wonder Like we can also show up with a few maybe basic materials or you know see where we are and what's available to us and just really respond in the moment to what feels right like what is that flicker of inspiration that comes and bring your little one in to sort of say like you know I want to see through the eyes of of you with that curiosity and and innocence and and what do you wish to create today and how do you want to play i found that really supportive and it kind of gets out the idea of it needing to be right or you know look a certain way that actually it can be really simple and playful and 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 in that i think there's a real um authenticity to it as well that it doesn't need to be anything too grand or um you know life-changing for people just keep it really simple and and a space that you enjoy to hold that feels like it's a pleasure for you to be able to hold that space that it's not sort of a chore that you're dreading but it's actually something like yeah I really want to 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 experience this myself and and have that as a guide as well
0: Mm. that's really interesting that, that idea of bringing children into those um spaces and into those conversations Mm. um and actually I just I was just looking for because it um one of the sticky notes I made on your um book was this little there was a couple of paragraphs um about the children's fires Mm. and I've come across the idea of children's fires before and um for people that haven't heard of children's fires it's that thing of like a community coming together with the soul if you correct me if I've understood not understood this um that idea of like specifically thinking about how are the decisions that we're currently making going to affect children grandchildren future generations of this community um and i think that is something that is that lots of people are missing out on just that time you know women i quite often talk about like when we do cpd stuff and it's not necessarily about going and learning a new skill it's just that you gave yourself an hour or two to only think about this Mm. you know and um that idea of setting up children's fires as a time to just go okay if we could park everything else for a minute and just think about this in the long in the really long term what does that look like um and then trying to so because most of our work almost all of our work um is either exclusively um young people at our sessions or young people and their families and um there's i feel like for children currently growing up there's uh that sense that they are already being burdened with like eco-anxiety or undue um responsibilities that Mm -hmm. having you know i really value having those conversations with our groups and going you know what will this look like oh if children want to play here in this many years and um, quite often they can bring up those feelings of like eco-anxiety and all that stuff that they are not in control of and I wondered if you had any sense of or any sort of suggestions on how to have those conversations and hold those children's fires with young people without giving them that sense of anxiety I suppose
2: mm really well honouring the work that you do in that because I think a lot of people probably either avoid having those conversations or when they do it's not really met with, um, I think a lot of adults haven't actually come to terms with it and made the space for their own feelings so then to be able to hold the younger ones is, is not something we're able to do. I'm actually thinking of a book written by a friend of mine called How the World is Making Your Children Mad and What to Do About It by Louis Weinstock, it's a beautiful book a sad book, but really like how we can be holding space for our young people with all the complexity of these times. And I think having something like a regular space, like holding a fire circle, which you could name the children's fire, and it's this space of being aware of those generations yet to come and and not just the human, but all those yet to come. And having it as a time when it is a sharing space where people talk about how they're feeling, you know, you could bring questions in specifically about how they're feeling or how they're relating with such and such, that there is a sort of question for them to sort of riff around. And having in that space a real willingness to, to hear and not try and fix, and I think that's the mm. thing that we often try to do That it's Of course, we don't want to see our, our young ones struggling, but actually recognizing that they're feelings are really valid and knowing that, that that they are being witnessed in that I think is really powerful. That's what Louis speaks to I think more than anything that that can bring about the healing we need to really value that they are aware as much as we are of, of what's happening because they're so in tune and you know when we recognize we're completely connected with all other beings we're going to be aware of the, 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 the grief that's a part of the earth at this time and let alone all the humans that there's a lot that we're carrying. Um, And simple rituals that I think can help as well, once we've sort of, a really simple one, again, it comes down to stones and water. But when I've held grief rituals, we have the stone as a, a way of expressing our grief, like really feeling the burden of that stone, like the weight of it as something that we're carrying. And we speak to what it is that's on our heart that we feel present with. And have a big bowl of water in the centre, and you can place that stone in the water as a way of like giving up that burden and also allowing that grief to be cleansed in some way by the waters. You could also do it with fire in terms of sort of writing something down and offering it up to the fire to be transformed, but using the natural setting as a way of also really helping open the container for those bigger emotions, so you know it might be that you've got a space where also you know grief and rage are quite closely linked. And we don't often manage those stronger feelings of rage very well, particularly, well, children and adults. So having a a space where like physically they can actually move through some of those feelings in a safe way. Um, I'm thinking, so I held a, a, a ceremony last year called grief, rage, and praise. And we actually had for the, the rage part, these five stations around the room, which you could kind of recreate in an outdoor setting. You had like a, we had an old big tractor tire and sticks, and we were just like hitting the tire as hard as we had. We had boxing gloves that we were boxing, tearing newspaper. It was really satisfying sort of sta- sounds. Black charcoal and paper where they could just sort of smear those kind of markings. Um, I think there was one more. But having a way to sort of Im- move through it in an embodied way, because I think also we're not really taught how to be with our emotions so we sort of bottle them up and actually if there's a way to physically sort of move through them and be with them and be witnessed in that it can really help them move through and I think for children also to sort of recognize there is power in this that actually our grief and our rage can really inspire us and motivate us to take action and sort of focus on on that but it's it's right to be feeling these things and actually that we can really make use of them in in a way when we're in community and in a held space to channel that energy into something greater and I think to have a space where we also then use the sort of amazing imagination of children to visualize what they would wish for those yet to come so actually we've gone through that feeling of like oh god you know is the world going to end what would it be like if we imagined the future that we long for and like speak to that so bringing in you know how you imagine being in community or what kind of creative creative um so i remember having this uh, an idea of a town and people were saying like all the billboards for advertising would become like creative art spaces all like unused um industrial spaces would become communal gardens like just allowing that kind of conversation where hope is then kindled again so that you're not sort of ending the space with that weight of everyone's grief having been shared that there's a sort of a way of moving mm. that coming out the other side
0: that's really interesting i was just you as you were describing that like grief and rage mm. thing women i quite often talk about how uh we're really we're really comfortable with the idea that like play is not always fun play doesn't always look like a smiling face sometimes it looks like stressful or sometimes it looks you know really hard conflict resolution or you know that's all play and I feel really comfortable holding that as a container and I feel really confident in expressing that to you know as a um like a commercial business which is what we are to an extent it's that idea of like I'm comfortable talking to parents and saying yes this is what has happened in the day this is the experience but I don't know that I feel necessarily as comfortable with going this is a space where the we're going to hold the Mm -hmm. children's emotions and some of those emotions will be rage Mm -hmm. and grief and all those things and like that's definitely a journey I think I personally am still on in terms of being comfortable about like. You know that that ability to go oh, yeah unprompted we ended up smashing um car tires for about an hour today and they really screamed out into the woods and they uh, ripped up a load of stuff and burnt it you know it was, it was great you know i can i'm okay with that in this from a space of play but i'm not necessarily okay yet in terms of holding that and going yeah i'm comfortable being the container the cocoon for those emotions so that's really interesting i am definitely got that to work on i think Mm. Um, i'm super grateful of your time today i'm conscious that we've um waffled on at you but um if people are have listened to all of this and they're really interested in like your work and learning more about what it is that you're up to where can people find out about your stuff
2: Mm, thank you both so much for having me here. Mm. I really enjoyed the conversation. So my website is islamcleod.com, which has, uh, you can sign up to my newsletter and then be the first to hear about everything I'm offering, or I do update my website with events. I'm also quite active on Instagram, and it's MacLeod on Instagram, if you'd like to also see a lot of imagery that I post around ceremonies and rituals that I hold.
1: Yeah, and your book, obviously, Rituals for Life, <laughs> which is available. And, um, yeah, that's really exciting. You're saying you're doing some more writing. Um it'd be really great to read some more of your stuff. Thank you so much, Isla. It's been an absolute joy speaking with you today
2: yeah you too and thank you for all the work you're doing with our young ones mm. i hope that you can keep on offering these spaces with a lot more of this sense of how you can bring in ritual and the emotions and all of it into that space in a way that's really supportive for them and and for us going forward being able to manage the times that we're meeting mm. Thank, mm. Amazing.
0: thank you thank you so much thank you, you Great. Yeah.
2: bye 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 bye
0: You can get ad-free episodes of the Forest School podcast as well as bonus episodes and exclusive access to upcoming guests to ask them questions before anybody else finds out about it simply by visiting patreon.com forward slash children of the forest.